Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 76. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 19 and beyond, where we will see the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey, which uh, we think occurred between the years of about uh, 53 and 58 AD. I also have a map that you can uh, see as part of the, uh, the written part of this lesson, which will show Paul's travels. So again, much of Acts is a travelogue, if you will, as Paul, as first Peter and then later Paul go to spread the gospel to uh, the other nations. Okay, so we see in chapter 19, Paul is, is discussing Paul's coming to Ephesus. So a little background on Ephesus. First of all, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. It had about 200,000 people in it at that time. And uh, now it's uh, not very large at all. Uh, you can go visit it today. It was a port on the Mediterranean, but unfortunately a river so, uh, silted over, and so it's not a port, and so uh, the population decreased radically. Uh, what else can we do we know about uh, Ephesus? It was... Um, one of, the, one of the seven wonders of the world was located there. The Temple of Artemis, the Greek goddess of fertility, kind of the same as the Roman goddess of Diana, um, was there in Ephesus. And it was quite a structure. It was 425 feet long, so about one and a half football fields long, by about 220 yards wide and 60 feet high. So you can imagine... Um, it's the ultimate tourist trap there. People are going to see this uh, structure made to honor the Greek goddess of fertility. And what do all tourist traps have in common? They have souvenir shops where you can buy trinkets. I mention this because it will be important later on in, in, this, uh, in this story here. So, um, I guess the amphitheater that we'll read about later seats about 24,000 people. So that's even fairly large for, for today. Um, well, we also know that Paul stayed there for about two, in Ephesus itself, for about two and a quarter years, from late 54 to about mid 57 AD. And uh, what you won't see here, but elsewhere, is that he wrote 1 Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. You can check that out in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. Um, and, you know, he says, hey, I'm hanging out in Ephesus, you know, wish you were here, okay? So uh, he also possibly wrote Galatians from Ephesus as well. We're not as sure about that. What else do we know about Ephesus? Well, the apostle John. And Mary, Jesus' mother, lived there according to church tradition. Remember in the Gospel of John, where Jesus on the cross said, Woman, behold your son. And to John, he said, Behold your mother. They lived in Ephesus. Ephesus is at least 750 miles from Jerusalem. 
Later, John was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is off the coast near Ephesus. And um, later on, we'll see that uh, Revelation, where the Apostle John is, is this is where uh, the Apostle John is told to bring a message to the seven churches. Uh, read Revelation 1, 11. Uh, about that. Now, those seven churches that are listed in uh, Revelation are, are north and south, are all of them within about a hundred miles of Ephesus. And um, so you'll, um, you can see that on a, on a map if you, if you look at that. So Paul used Ephesus as his missionary base where he went out from or sent missionaries. Okay. So enough uh, background there. So let's get into the text itself. It says, Paul traveled through the interior of the country and came down to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. Now, he, he had kind of passed through there, we see um, in the previous chapter, chapter 18, verse 19. But he didn't hang around long. Now he's going to stay for a long time, two and a quarter years, right? Um, and he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And the answer, and we never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And verse three said, how were you baptized? They replied with the baptism of John, which as we have studied before, was just a baptism of repentance. And Paul then said, John baptized with a surprise Baptist of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So apparently, Paul thought baptism was pretty important, right? He didn't just say, ah, you know, let's do it if you feel like it. If you don't feel like it, don't worry about it. You know, he thought it was important. Okay. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul laid his hands on them, there's that laying of hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Okay, so what is this speaking in tongues? Well, unlike in Acts chapter 2, where we saw that speaking in tongues, people were able to understand what Peter said, and he, he was able to understand what they said, and the other apostles as well, in their own language, it's not clear what this speaking in tongues is. Is it a, like a, a special holy language? Perhaps. We don't know. The Catholic Church is open to the idea of people speaking in a tongue other than a human language, provided that, and you may want to underline speaking in tongues, and in the margins write 1 Corinthians 12 for you know, a, a little guidance on what speaking in tongues should entail and should not. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says in two places, there should be someone who can interpret, um, you know, or, you know, or else, uh, you know, it's, it's not appropriate for, for teaching. Now, you can speak in tongues in your own individual prayer life, and, you know, if the Holy Spirit, you, know, you never want to throw cold water on the Holy Spirit, right? 
But Paul also says later on in another letter, he says, hey, you know, there has to be order in church and all of that. So ideally, if you're speaking in tongues in a group environment, there would be someone else who could interpret what the heck you are saying. But we never want to throw cold water on the Holy Spirit. So to be clear, you can be a Catholic and uh, through the, you know, there, at Duquesne University in about 1960, there is evidence of Catholic, a charismatic Catholic movement, which continues today. Doesn't mean you have to be able to speak in tongues. It is a gift. Um, I personally don't have it. Paul claimed to have it. And, um, you know, so that's great. Bottom line is, if the Holy Spirit's for it, um, that's that's a, a great thing. But I wanted to clear that up. So uh, he, where does Paul go? He always goes first to the synagogue. It tells us that in verse 8. And for three months, he debated boldly. And, you know, of course, uh, he gets some converts. And then um, verse 10, he continued for two years um, in, in a lecture hall. So that's your two and a quarter years at least. So, uh, so extraordinary were the mighty deeds God accomplished at the hands of Paul that when face cloths or aprons that touched his skin were applied to the sick, their diseases left them. So... We acknowledge that there is power through the use of relics, not in the relics themselves, I hasten to add, okay? So it's undeniable, it's, it's in scripture here, that uh, people were healed, their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. It was their belief in God and their trust in the promises of Christ that allowed them to be healed, not the cloths themselves, okay? So, uh, just wanted to, to clear that up. So, then, of course, there are some Jewish exorcists who come in, and they kind of want on that deal. And so, they don't really believe they're Jewish exorcists, and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those with evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They're not really preaching it themselves. Uh, when the seven, verse 14, when the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, tried to do this, the evil spirits said to them in reply, this is kind of funny, Jesus, I recognize. Paul, I know, but who are you? Uh, the person with the evil spirit then sprang at them and subdued them all. He so overpowered them that they fled naked and wounded from that house. So the moral of the story is, if you're going to go into battle with Satan, uh, you got to really believe in Jesus or else, you know, you too might have to flee naked and flee naked and wounded from where you're at. Okay, so uh, don't try to uh, counterfeit um, the, you know, the gospel of, of Christ there. Okay. So now we have some believers and there's a lot of people practicing magic in that area. Now this is pretty cool. Verse 19, a large number of those who had practiced magic and now they're believers 
uh, collected their books, these magic books with incantations and so forth, and burned them in public. They calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 silver pieces. So last time I looked into this, it was about 12, 13 years ago. And the value of 50,000 silver pieces in today's value would be about $2.5 million. So these people who previously practiced magic, you know, incantations from books and all that, they decided to get away from it all and they burned that stuff. So you got to ask yourself, what is, what is an application of that today? What is it that is still in your life that is keeping you from a fuller relationship with God? Okay. What is it that you hold so dearly that is keeping you from a relationship with God? If there is something like that, get rid of it. Just get rid of uh, whatever ideas, get rid of whatever things. And for that matter, get rid of whatever people are standing in your way of a relationship with God. You know, if you want to change your life uh, for the better, uh, it, it, it's going to come down to the people you hang out with, the books that you read, the music that you listen to, and all of that. Change that and you will, um, you know, in, improve or uh, you know, you will start and improve your relationship with Christ. Okay, so uh, this was, um, you know, this is a, a pretty cool thing. Now we got a problem. We got all these people saying, hey, we're renouncing our old ways. Well, I told you that in Ephesus, you know, there's this big uh, temple of uh, Artemis there, right? Um, uh, there's, this, there's this big temple there. And I think I said Artemis, didn't I? Um, but let's see. Yeah, Temple of Artemis. Okay, very good. So we're moving on. Verse 24, here's a problem. There's a silversmith named Demetrius who made miniature silver shrines of Artemis, and he's selling them in this tourist trap. And it provided a lot of work for the craftsmen. Okay, and so they get together. I'll summarize, and he says, "Hey, this guy's this this Paul is bad for business. He's telling us to get rid of these idols, you know, and uh, and worship Christ. And uh, what are we going to do here? We're all going to lose our jobs. This is bad for business. So, in other words, Paul's okay until he's bad for business. And so, uh, um, anyway." So what do they want to do? They want to get him kicked out. So they walk around town, verse 28, and they're shouting, began to shout, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. And it looks like there's going to be a riot there. But uh, in verse 35, finally the town clerk restrained the crowd and said, hey, you know, don't worry about this. We don't want to have a riot. Uh, verse 40 says, as it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's conduct. There's no cause for it. We shall not be able to give a reason for the demonstration. And with these words, he dismissed the assembly. So it's like the cops come and they say, okay, everybody go home. You know, we're not going to have a riot here uh, because then the Roman authorities are really going to come down on us. So, 
actually this uh, town clerk, who we don't see as a believer, actually kind of saves Paul's life, doesn't he? So once again, we see how God can use anybody to accomplish uh, his purposes. Paul needs to remain alive so that he can continue does, uh, continue spreading the gospel, right? So um, anyway, maybe that's enough for right now. That's a lot of stuff. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Paul's example as he is spreading the gospel to both Jew and Gentile alike. And he's, he's putting up with all, all of this persecution. And he's teaching him. We thank you that Paul, once again, shows the need for baptism. You know, a physical sign. We, as Christians, we recognize a connection between the physical and the spiritual. You know, we are, we are not uh, Arians, okay? And another topic for, for another day, A-R-I-A-N-S, a, a, a bishop who claimed that, uh, you know, among other things, that uh, there was not really a connection between the physical and the spiritual. What you, what you did physically had nothing to do with, um, uh, you know, with uh, with what you, you know, what you believed in your heart. And we say they are connected. So um, we thank you for people who who uh, are are good people uh, who helped Paul uh, stay alive. You know, like this, uh, you know, this town town clerk as well. And we ask that you help us search our hearts as we find as we look for what it is in our life that is keeping us from a better relationship with Christ. In our society, many times that's money, as we saw was the case with the uh, silversmiths. So help convict us of what it is that is keeping us from that right relationship with Christ. Um, we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we're, we're going to continue on with this third missionary journey uh, next week, as we, or next time as we look at chapter 20. And as always, I welcome you to email your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. And until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. Thank you.